This is a Big MX Podcast, brought to you by X-Brand Goggles, presented by Golden Tire, Tech One Designs, Westside Honda, TransCanada Motorsports, Roy Wharton Suspension Systems, and 204 Skate Shop. Motocross news from around the globe, but mostly between Emerson and Brandon. We're not experts over here, but we've got microphones. Check out BigMXRadio.com for more content. Welcome to the Big MX Show, brought to you by 204 Skate Shop, X-Brand Goggles, Tech One Designs, Westside Honda, TransCanada Motorsports, RPM Graphics, Roy Burton Suspension Systems, Golden Tire, and new for this week, we've got PRMX, a motocross gear and um, accessories distributor out of Quebec, Canada. I am your host, as usual, Brad Gebhardt. With me on the line, we've got the 2000-125 West Supercross champion. He's got six podiums in Supercross as well as three Loretta Lynn titles to his credit. None other than Shay Bentley, who's uh, in his car right now talking to us. How's it going, Shay? Uh, life is good. Everything is um, going good. I can't complain at all. Excellent. Now, I understand you're uh, headed down to go pick up a trailer, for uh, so you're multitasking a little bit. And um, so I wanted to give the... Uh, our listeners a little bit of a chance to get to know you as a professional and then also uh, what you've learned through your career to pass on to those young uh, athletes that you currently work with. Yes, um, it's very important, you know, because coming from my days, you know, we didn't have anybody, you know, whenever all the pros quit racing, they pretty much quit. And now, you know, um, you've got these big training facilities and everything and, um, um, which, which helps out, but a lot of the training facilities, um, there's, they're not the ones that run it and own it. They've never ridden a motorcycle before. So they're, you know, it's, it's a huge difference. And coming from my background where, you know, I've ridden, I've raced, I've been at the top, I've been at the bottom through injuries, through the good and bad. Now I'm able to pass down and, um, you know, help the younger generation that's going to be the future champions. And, um, and, and that's, and it gives, it's like me racing all over again, because when you quit racing or you quit doing a sport you've done your whole life, um, you can't just walk away from it. I mean, I tried and I'm not going to lie. Um, it was real tough and, um, I, I kept, kept searching and I was praying and God just, you know, answered all my prayers and, you know, brought me back to uh, my roots. And, um, and it was amazing how everything worked out with the riders that I have. And, you know, plus with my health, because my health is racing took its toll on my health, obviously, um, with a lot of broken bones and, you know, head injuries. Um, so, but yeah, it's, um, it's definitely a blessing to be able to, to do both, um, to be able to have the past that I've had and to be able to have the future that I have now and to be able to look for, toward the future and be excited about it. Excellent. No, I actually I spoke with uh, a good friend of mine, Kevin Kelly, and he he, admits he saw you in, uh, obviously he saw you in Loretta's, but I talked to him after 
uh, Mammoth Mountain. He said that uh, you're you're back to the Shea that he he, he remembers growing up, uh, seeing grow, like uh, as a as a younger racer, and uh, it's it's good to see that uh, you've um, kind of come back to the fray because after like a, a slew of injuries out through the back half of your career, uh, you, you kind of uh, left the um, left the industry or left the racing scene and for all intents and purposes disappeared. And uh, it's, it's amazing to see someone come back and, and have such a, a positive uh, outlook on things and, and really give back to the riders that, uh, that he feels is, uh, is deserving of it. And then ones that he can feel like he can help. Um, when, when you turned pro in 1998, you had come off of a very successful season at Loretta Lynn's and you went directly into uh, racing supercross, I believe in Indianapolis. Um, yeah. What was your how would what formed your decision to, to turn pro at um, at a at a Supercross as well as um, who was guiding you in those uh, those months uh, leading up to that event? Well, I was um, I was with I was lucky enough to be sponsored by um, you know Kawasaki um, the amateur program and um, and actually you know um, my teammate Nick Way who still races to this day. Um, I had won Loretta's, um, and, and I think I won like four of the six motos and stuff, but mm-hmm. you know, and, and any type of sport or any type of, you know, job and stuff, politics come in and it's all who you know and everything. So I had to say, um, he got, um, a factory ride, um, because of, you know, some people that knew him from Kawasaki. Right, yeah, he's and had that, that relationship uh, this entire time. Yeah, and even though I beat him and everything, um, I remember crying all the way home. And I was just like, God, why? You know, what do I have to do? So um, then after that, there's a big race down in Florida. It's called the Mini O's. Right. And it's a week long deal and it's during Thanksgiving. And I went down there and um I was I've always been very confident in what I can do on a motorcycle. If someone can do it, I can do it. And um I was um I don't think I lost a race. because um, you do T T, you do supercross and then you do uh, motocross. So it's actually three events all in one week. And it's a big family orientation because it was Thanksgiving. So, and it was actually Thanksgiving day. Um, it was my last moto and my mom and them were preparing and all that. And I actually, um, was way out front and, um, Nick way was in second. Ernesto Fonseca was in third and I crashed and ruptured my spleen really bad. It was like taking my spleen and dropping it off a three um, story building. And, um, I almost didn't make it, but, um, so I um I didn't have very long to prepare for Supercross. <laughs> and um even though I, I turned everybody's eyes down at the Minios, um along with Kawasaki and Mitch Payton at Pro Circuit, uh, they you know, they called and checked up on me and I had a week and a half to prepare for my very first supercross in Indianapolis and um I went out there and I set the fastest lap time and then, um, I wasn't in shape. So my goal was to get out front and just try to ride my own race and not worry about anybody else. 
and which, you know, I qualified everything, and I whole started the main event, my very first Supercross, and I was doing doing that, and then I came to, um, about the second lap, came to a set of whoops, and um, took a handlebar to the stomach and went down, and it scared me really bad, mm-hmm. because, you know, of just my injury coming off, so I ended up um, DNF in that one, and then I got stronger and stronger, I had to ride myself into shape, through Supercross, but um, I think I whole shotted four of the seven events and um, led them. And not only that, but I got a ton of experience, you know, learning the intensity because that was the difference in amateur racing. You know, you can run, you get out front, you can run one or two laps really hard, really fast with a high intensity, and then you could settle into a rhythm. Right. And uh, kind of like what James Stewart, um, his dad used to always tell me, just get out front and sing your song. Yeah. So, and that's what I, and that's what I would do. Well, when you're in um, the professional level, you can't really do that because you've always, you know, racing against Ricky Carmichael my whole life. Who, yeah. you know, I had a, you even you beat know, him for a championship because he DNF'd in that Loretta's. <laughs> Yeah, I beat him there, and I beat him. We had so many good battles. Um, um, I uh, well, yourself being from Georgia, and he's from uh, like just south uh, in Florida. You guys must have uh, butted heads quite a bit. Yeah, and uh, we played a lot of head games, um, even though we were teammates. Um, me and him both got in trouble by Kawasaki for um, some dirty riding and rivalry because um, we both wanted it. Mm-hmm. And I think I think I beat him like four or five weekends in a row, and then um, I'd heard that he was going to take me out, and I'll be dang if he didn't. He cleaned my clock out and dislocated my shoulder at the regional. Mm-hmm. So I went to Loretta's in 1995 as an alternate, and I'm the only rider to ever go to Loretta's as an alternate and win. In the Super so, Mini 12 to 15 class? Yes, sir. Wow, that's incredible. Uh, that yeah. that's a stat that uh, I had no idea. And uh, you know, I was looking up your results on the the Orleans Vault, and I see a first place in the in uh, nineteen ninety five. And I'm thinking you must have been ahead of some pretty heavy hitters, including uh, RC, uh, who actually ended up. Um, you know, he's way down there. I believe he's twenty something overall. Uh, yeah. With going, he went one one DNF, and uh, you you actually went you you won all three motos. Yeah, you I am. Um, yeah, I had a um, um, well, you know, it was a um, a love hate relationship, mm-hmm. and um, the only way you can ever get paid back on somebody is you don't want to do dirty stuff. Just you just want to go beat them. Yeah, for sure. And um, so I just put my head down, and um, I was lucky enough to have doctors that were able to making me a shoulder brace um, that connected to my chest protector that would only let my arm go so far. And um, I um, and it worked because so, I didn't have long to prepare, and I went there and did my job. And um, then, you know, that was my last 85 race, and then we all went to 125s and mm-hmm. 250s. And, um, but my problem was was I couldn't keep my shoulder, so I had to have several shoulder surgeries and, um, you know, and then, um, 
then whenever, you know, you turn pro. So it's just a building block, you know, and a lot of it is just immaturity. And when I was 12 years old, I had to grow up really fast because my parents, they worked. Um, I was invited to go to South Africa for Team USA um, with, Hil- with Hilton Beatty and um, I, first time I ever met Grant Langston and a bunch of the riders, Greg Albertine. So um, I went over there for a month with Timmy Ferry and his dad. And I'm, I'll never forget, it was like a 24-hour flight. We had a flight in New York. And I seen the Shea Stadium, and I never flew before. And then I was on this huge plane, and we get off the plane. And I'm thinking, well, all the riders are going to stay together. And I see a sign that said Shea Bentley. And I just went with a family I never knew or anything wow. and stayed there and stayed there for a month. And um, at the age of 12, but I'll tell you, um, I learned more, you know, and had so much fun on that trip. And me and Timmy Ferry and his dad were actually talking about that at Loretta's because, um, you know, I took a video camera over there and we recorded everything. And at the last week, we got to go on this long resort and um, we got chased by elephants. I mean, you're, you're in a Jeep that does 40 miles an hour against, you know, other animals that can do 60 miles an hour. So, um, and they would cook for you. You had cabins. And obviously, we were all caged in um, with big fence. But once we went out that gate, we were just in a Jeep with, you know, two little doors, and that was all open. Wow. But it was the best time. We got to see hippopotamuses and lions and tigers. I mean, two feet away from you. You may be sleeping and... It was amazing, but, um, yeah, so I grew up real fast, you know, and then with school, I, um, it was very important for me to stay in school and graduate, um, because you, you never know if racing was going to pan out or not, even though I, right. I knew it was for me, but, um, it only takes one accident. So, um, I graduated with honors. My school did work with me and get, they would, would give me all my work before I left. And I got out of school my senior year um, early in order um, to go ride and train. And my mechanic, um, who was who had been with me since I was 14, um, who he's passed away now, but he would pick me up from school, and um, we would go riding, and I'd do my homework on the way back and all that. So um, it was um, it was every day I'd get up at 5:30 and go jogging. Since I was about 15 years old, all the way, and I retired when I was 25. So 10 years of just just mentally and physically abusing your body, and that's not including, you know, the years before because I started racing when I was eight. Yeah, no so. kidding. Yeah, it's uh, it sounds like, <clears throat> and uh, like just as a curious question because I've had my own uh, shoulder surgeries. Uh, which shoulder gave you the most amount of trouble when you were growing up? Um, my left shoulder is um, the bad one. It um, it will not stay in place. I, I've had four surgeries, and now now they've got to go in, and um, they're actually going to put um, it's going to be a big scar, but I'm going to have um, screws that go directly into through my arm, and that holds it together because okay. I have so I have so much nerve damage, and. Um, but both of them are beat up. I mean, from both collarbones are broke. You know, I got bones sticking up. And then 
and they've been broke several times. And then, um, but the dislocation part is a dislocation is very painful. <laughs> nope, and, nope. Um, I've had 15 myself. Yeah. So, and, um, but, um, I'm going to have that surgery, but I'm going to wait till after my neck surgery because I, um, I broke my neck at Chick-fil-A's house. Um, Dan, Kathy and Ross, Kathy, um, that's true Kathy's, um, son. Mm-hmm. And, um, they, um, they rode and they invited me out and I got to meet the mayor of Atlanta and stuff. And so they built me a track out there. Um, so I could go out there and ride anytime I wanted. And I would think it was in 2001 and I was getting ready for the outdoor national and Glenn Bates, you know, built, built a track and I always ride the edge of the track. And it did, it wasn't packed down, so it was a fourth gear, and I ended up crashing. I ruptured my spleen, broke my neck, T2 to T6, um, and then uh, my collar bro- broke my right collarbone, right scapula. I was messed up, and um, it hurt real bad. But now, now the problem is, is where it healed back. When anything breaks, the calcium, you know grows over it and makes right. it stronger where the calcium deposit is now hitting my um um my spinal cord oh, so it oh, causes wow. it causes my causing my legs and my arms to go numb so so are you un- unable to like is, does that affect your ability to even go uh, turn a few laps here and there or yeah i um i do not i haven't gotten on a bike in so long and, and it's hard, but that's, you know, being able to go out there and work with the kids that I work with. Yeah. And that's how I get my, my, my rush. You know, everybody's got to have something that gets them going, you know, and, um, when they win, it's like me winning. And, um, just, you know, and it, it really is. I mean, I get very emotional. Um, sometimes I think I get too involved, um, because, I don't want them to make the same mistakes I did, you know, and if you can, back in the day, you know, when we would get hurt, it was all about getting back on the bike as quick as you can. Now it's the opposite. They want you to fully heal and, you know, take that time because when you do come back to be at the level, you've got to be a hundred percent. And in order to beat somebody, you've got to be doing everything they're doing. Plus, something a little bit better Definitely. and and you can ride all day long but you know you can practice you can do sprints but when they, when you show up on a gate it's a totally different ball game and um obviously you know i got my um plenty of times of showing up on the gate and um having some lows thinking i was ready and leaving the track you know in like a 10th place or 11th place going, man, I got some work to do. But, you know, I just always believed and I knew I was going to win a championship and I don't want to get greedy, but I should have won several more. But, um, the injuries, the injuries, you know, had caught up with me and, and what people don't understand is when you get hurt and you have surgery, well, you have scar tissue, that scar tissue causes, um, the blood flow and everything and it causes your body to be unbalanced. Mm-hmm. And um, I was able to work with Jeff Spencer, who was Lance Armstrong's trainer. So um, I learned all about 
you know, like going through the puberty stuff, going through um, injuries and how to do the laser stuff, the laser treatments. And, um, you know, they're actually, I just had some done on my dog um, not long ago on his back. Uh, and it's amazing that what the laser treatments can do. Um, and, and I didn't believe in it so much, but I remember we were doing it on my legs because I compound fractured my legs. And, um, and he did, um, he measured how high I could jump and then he did the laser treatments and on both legs. And I kid you not, I jumped twice as high. Wow. So yeah, it, um, it, it would definitely open my eyes, you know, and now, you know, I'm able to give that back to my, my riders and, um, you know, if they do get hurt, I know how to tape and wrap and, you know, not only that, I never burned any bridges when I was racing um, because, you know, the world seems large, but it is really small. And especially in this industry, um, it's a real small industry. Um, and, and what's crazy is when I was racing, all the guys that I was, that were mechanics and all that stuff back then, well, they're still mechanics, but they're just on a different team or a different place now. Mm-hmm. So it's it's still it's still neat to go back and see everybody and hug and you know because um, it was like family. I mean, you get attached every weekend. You're flying on an airplane, and you get attached to these, you know, to them. <clears throat> and it's hard, especially you know when you have when when you have a family and all that stuff, and trying to you know keep everything organized and you know because I'm OCD to the extreme. Um, everything's got to be right in its place. Um, my kids hate it, but um, one day, hopefully, they'll learn that it'll help them out by being organized. Because you know, you got to have dreams, you got to have goals. Because um, without goals, then what are we? You know, we're not we're not trying to achieve anything. Right. You've got to have a a plan set forth to achieve so that you can be successful. Because uh, without a plan, you uh, you just float. You don't, uh, you can't work towards anything if you don't have, uh, something to aspire to. Exactly. And that's what, you know, you look at all these school systems and stuff these days, I'm not harping on, but you know, these video games and stuff like that. Um, as far as me being a parent, I have three kids and, um, I've got one that plays the video games, but he is, he is limited, you know, to an hour about every two to three days. Um, you know, another night he's got to be outside, you know, and, um, he does have a bike, he does ride, but you would think I'd push him and I do the total opposite. I just tell him to go have fun. And, um, sometimes he'll want to get in there with, you know, when I'm working with corners or, you know, teaching, you know, going through, you know, looking at lines and stuff. Um, but main thing, I just try to just, I just want him to have fun. Absolutely. That was, uh, the very same, uh, approach that, that I, I received as a, as a young rider. And I feel like, um, some of the riders that, um, were pressured more, obviously like a few of them 
attained more success than I did. Uh, like I never really felt uh, pressured on race day. Dad was more or less uh, bring this thing back on two wheels, uh, and uh, and that's a successful day for the most part. And I think that was uh, that was one of the things that fueled my passion to still be involved in the sport. Uh, over 14 years later, uh, whereas a lot of those friends of mine who have had moto wins, uh, championship wins, and stuff like that, uh, and uh, like any any number of uh, fortunes that come after uh, after that, uh, when they were more pressured, uh, le- very few of them are still uh, still racing. Uh, like a lot of them uh, they, almost became uh, it becomes a bother for them. Yeah, they um, they they actually become to where they hate it. Mm-hmm. And you know, and they're doing it for the wrong reasons, and um, and in or in order to be good at something, you gotta love it, mm-hmm. um, and you gotta love all parts about it. You know, it's you know, you can take um, you can take like Travis Pastrana. Travis can do anything on a motorcycle, and you know, he won championships and stuff. But his career was you know freestyle. But, you know, he was able to take his, you know, into the movie scene and stuff. And he was always surrounded by good people. And, I, and I've and i known Travis since he was seven years old. So, and he was always he was always racing, you know, like a year or two underneath me, yeah. a class underneath me. But um, he always wore this coyote on the back of his chest protector. And he would always, you know, in Pennsylvania, uh, that's where he was from, he, um, where the tracks he'd race at mostly, he would always do no handers and no footers on his eighties. And, you know, the crowd would just eat it up. And then, um, but what, you know, he was able to sell himself because of his, because of his attitude, you know, to get out there and he could be hurt. He could have a torn knee and he would still put on a smile and say how much he loved the sport and plug his sponsors and all that stuff. Then you've got riders that are can win and be the most winningest riders, but if they don't sell themselves, you know, sponsors don't really want that. Right. And you know, I don't want to say any names or anything, but there's there's some that are out there right now, and um, you know, that could have a lot more, and um, and because they because of the way they, um, I guess, approach the. the it is a job. I understand. Yep. It is a job, and you have to treat it as a job. It's you know you get on a schedule, but um, you also have to do the you know what like what we're doing now, the broadcast. You all you know any any kind of TV shows you can do because that's what the sponsors are paying you for. Yeah, and, and that's also there's something to be said for showmanship. Like uh, one of the, the the biggest icons that we think of in the sport, a, a Travis Pastrana, or a J- Jeremy McGrath, a Ricky Johnson, uh, all riders who, when the camera was in their face, uh, they allowed themselves to continue to entertain, and 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 uh, fans buy tickets, fans line the fences to be entertained, and I think the the riders that have realized. And that sees the opportunity to continue to entertain after the bike gets turned off are ones who really capitalize on this ability to market themselves and have that um, that connection with their fans. That say like uh, a rider, like maybe say uh, like a Ryan Dungey, who's very reserved in his interviews, uh, don't enjoy. Exactly, you just hit it right on the nutshell. You know, I mean, um, 
you know, because there's there's a there's gonna be a day where the um, um, the racing stops, and it's usually around about thirty. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got very few that can go over it, but your bodies, even if you do not get hurt, people don't understand the abuse that your body takes um, to hold on to that machine and to be able to do what you know we do on those those bikes. It's not just physical; it's mental. And for like me having concussions and stuff. And then, you know, I, I was started having seizures. Okay. Um, and, you know, they, they found out I knew something was wrong when I won the championship because of my stomach and stuff. And even as an amateur, I was having problems, but then I found out I had Crohn's, you know, um, and Crohn's disease. Yep. So, and then it's just, you know, it took its toll on my body and, you know, that's, and when I walked away from the sport, you know, it was something that I, I didn't want to do, but I had to do for my own sake, um, for my health, for my family, and, um, you know, um, just to keep me, you know, and it brought a lot of the love back to the sport because I came, I came back, um, you know, into the sport and, you know, it was a whole different ball game, you know, then it was like, um, I loved it, and you know, I'm. I was at the regional qualifier, Florettas, and you know, and to see what these parents and you know, and um, these families are doing for their kids and stuff. And these kids can be on a fifty, um, and 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 I and I do not handle um, parents very well that um, jump their kids and get onto them. Um, but actually, we were at the regional, and a lady was screaming. Um, that a um, six-year-old little boy was getting beat and by his father, um, <clears throat> all because he didn't do good. But uh, And she was wanting to go get AMA, and I just told her, you go get AMA, and you just tell me where that trailer was. And I went, and I just tackled him. And what broke my heart was there was four other men that were twice as big as me. I'm 5'6", and I weigh 140 pounds. Uh, I just cleaned out a guy that was a Marine. And thank goodness he didn't come back on me. But once I, you know, we both fell inside the trailer and um, I just went off on him. And I made him look at his son because his son was crying and everything. And I was like, is this really worth, you know, you losing your son over? And, um, you know, he went to jail. But he came up to me before he got in the cop car and he gave me a hug and thanked me. He said, he just snapped. He said, he don't even rem- remember it. He said, he re- just snapped. And that's how, you know, this sport has gotten, you know, it's these, sometimes the parents want more than the kids. And, and I see it all the time. And if parents come to me, you know, want me to, you know, help their kid and stuff like that. And I see that I'm honest with them. Because, you know, I mean, I want the kids to be happy. You only live once. And, your you know, your youth is everything. And going to school and all that. And um, some of the parents are taking their kids and leaving them in a motorhome and relying on them to do their own schoolwork and all this and that. And it's like, that's you know, yeah, that's not it. I mean, very few make it in this sport. And when I say make it, I say, and I mean make it, enough money to live off of for the rest of their life. 
Oh, that's very and, few, and it's even more evident. Where, like, uh, I, I look up results all the time on this uh, the 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 Redolins Vault that they have on uh, racerexonline.com. If anyone wants to check that out, um, the number of names that you scroll through that have gone to Loretta's is absolutely dwarfs the number of riders that make it through on the professional level. And there's and the number of riders that I can think of that can honestly kick back after their better part of maybe 10-year career, which is what you'd probably have to have as a professional to be secure enough to uh, to be able to just kick back. Uh, it, it's it's a very small number. And even, uh, like I said, uh, like I remember hearing a, a quote from... Um, to, from Tim Ferry is that uh, if he hadn't if he hadn't gotten his ride from Kawasaki back in 2008, he wouldn't be in the position he's in right now. Yep, yep, you're exactly right. And um, me and Timmy are really close. Good. Um, and, and I actually, you know, I I kind of grew up with him. Like I said, when we went to South Africa, his dad's the one that looked out after me. And um, you know, his you know son is coming up and racing, and then. You know, like Scotty Sheik and Casey Johnson and all these other riders, you know, that are, um, you know, their bodies are so beat up and stuff, but they're they're giving back to the sport as well. Um, and they don't have championships and stuff. I was very, God gave me the ability, gave me the opportunity, and I earned it. And, um, and you freaking put, won, man. Yeah, I freaking won. <laughs> That's the <laughs> thing. So... It's a good thing I don't cuss, but, um, um, but, you know, and, and I had the next year one also, but, um, right. I went to pass Ernesto Fonseca and we collided in there and I landed. And when I landed, I got ran over by Danny Smith That's and right. it broke my, um, wrist and knocked me out. And, um, and that was the end of that. that was the end of that. And then, um, speed was never a problem for me. It was just, um. Speed and style, honestly, I I think of like uh, your career or your championship basically lines up directly with when I started in the sport. And that's really when I became most infatuated with the riders and seeing them do what they do and and watching you do what you did on a Kawasaki 125 uh, racing for Mitch Payton was nothing short of uh, inspiring. It uh, it really allowed me to... uh, um, fall in love with this sport and, and watching the uh the 40 or the 104 and the number one machine out there uh doing your thing man it was uh the thing of beauty thank you thank you very much yeah i am um, i definitely had a, di- a different style i am um, like mitch payton said um when shay looks like he's going his slowest is when he's going his fastest okay, because right, I let, like kevin windham yeah i let the bike do the work um, you know, and that's just the way it was. I, um, you know, I kept it pinned. I just, you know, and I always kept my finger on the clutch and, you know, um, and I, I just had a knack for, you know, the feel of the bike and stuff. But once I, once I got a taste of winning, you know, it only took me to get that one win. And then once I got that one win, it was on. So, um, Houston, Texas. Uh, yep. Houston, Texas. And then what was crazy is, is, is that I got a third, and then I got a second, and then I got a then I won. That's right. So I went San three, Diego, two, Phoenix, and yeah, yeah. I went three, two, one, then one, and then you know, um, and then the my second win was in Minneapolis, and I won by like 
two straightaways. It was just big. And yeah, that's I, I feel that's where you won your championship. That night, uh, of course, uh, points leader uh, was Pingry. Was Pingry. He ended Pingry. up with a 15th on that day. Uh, and yep. uh, he, he didn't have a big margin going into that round. And uh, I believe you seized the points from that day. Yeah. And then we went into Dallas and I won my heat race. I had the fastest lap time and everything was good. And um, I knew there was going to be some team tactics because I know what goes on. Um, and I'd already been warned. But because I won my qualifier, I had to start skate pick. And um, they lined two Suzuki's up next to me, mm-hmm. two of his teammates. And I didn't make it a foot out of the gate before they I got hit. So um, I decided to let off and kind of let them go in. Well, the one that was on the inside of me, I'm not going to say a name, but I went Travis to turn Preston. and he just... Yeah, he just goes through his bike right in the side of me. Really? And Yeah, and um, it was, I kid you not, even after I won the championship and stuff, you know, and we were celebrating, we didn't see Mitch Payton because you understand, Mitch Payton and Roger DeCosta, who is, was over Suzuki, they're best mm-hmm. friends. And Mitch, at the time, was building all of factory Suzuki's engines, all their motors Mitch was doing. Okay. And uh, so, because they would all come over, you know, dyno and do all that. And well, Mitch was fired up because not only did it, I didn't have a front brake, my throttle was sticking, and my front end was so far out of line it wasn't even funny. And then um, I broke my ankle pretty bad, that bad enough I had to have surgery. Yeah. And um, you know, so I got, I just got beat up. And kind of find out there was, you know, a $10,000, you know, whoever, um, if, if somebody took me out, he would pay, you know, yeah, there was a bounty and it's like having the number one plate, you know? So, um, but you know, God, um, God, you know, uh, he was on my side and, um, I can't say enough, um, cause I did earn it. You know, I came from 25 points back and that's what a lot of people don't, you know, remember is that, um. I DNF'd the second Anaheim. Yeah, twenty second at the uh, the second Anaheim on January fifteenth. Yeah, and um, yeah, uh, and and that moto was won by uh, like obviously Pingree didn't have the greatest of nights. Fourth, I think it was Talon Volan. Volan won, and then uh, Denny Smith. I'm surprised you have such a great memory of all this. Um, Yeah, basically, like like, summarize. I can't remember. Yeah, I can't remember what I did yesterday now, but I can tell you, you know, 15 years ago. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, Excellent. Well, th- those are good times. You're riding a uh, Mitch Payton-tuned Kawasaki 125, which was basically the, the bike you wanted to be on. And I'd say still yep. is kind of the bike you, like, uh, I'd, like they've had some issues this year. But still, the, the cream of the crop, in, in, as far as the 125 class goes, or the 250F class goes, mm-hmm. always riding the 125 shape. What was with uh, your uh, commitment to continuing on with uh, the, the, the smaller bike? What the what was the last word? Uh, that's like the the one twenty five. Oh, um, well, I did a lot of two fifty races overseas. Okay, but because of the point system, and when I won the championship, I had the championship won the next year, and I was actually um, they were my my agents and stuff were already setting up my two fifty um career, 
to step in the next year after I repeated. <coughs> right. And um, and we wasn't expecting that to happen, the wreck and stuff, but you never do. But I went overseas um, and raced several times on a 250, and I was actually always faster on a 250 than I was a 125 just oh. because of my style. Like um, the so races I did go over there, I beat Ezra, um, Tortelli, I beat, you know, all, a bunch of them. And, um, then I, but I'll tell you my very first race with Mitch Payton, I'll never forget. <clears throat> um, um, cause you know, Mitch, he's um, the cream of the crop, like you said, and you know, he expects you to win and, um, he puts a lot of work out there and, you know, not only would we, you know, as the riders, but we would go out there and race at the test track. So Jeff Emig and all of them would be on two fifties and, but they had a warm up race before Anaheim won, and I was doing the East Coast, so I didn't have anything to worry about. I was relaxed, but and um, it was a 125 race, a 250 race, and then you had a shootout. They took the top ten from the 125 and the top ten from the 250, and they combined you. Hmm. Well, nobody, you know, every people had heard of me and stuff, but you know. And they knew I was with Mitch and stuff, but they, they hadn't seen me and, um, you know, on a factory bike and all that stuff. But I'll never forget when my mechanic cranked that bike up that night. I stayed there till about 9 o'clock to hear it crank. And I was so excited. I was just ear, grinning ear to ear. And I slept like a baby that night. I got up, and I was so nervous because it was my first race with Mitch, and I did not want to mess things up. And, um, well, the gate dropped for my qualifier. And I was out front, and I went down, and there was only, like, five laps. So, um, and I came back to third. But I rode really good. So I was happy. Well, then um, the 125 class main event came up, the gate dropped, and I came from, like, 10th all the way. And Pingree was gone. He was way out front ahead of, you know, all your other top guys and all my teammates. And um, and I, I reeled them in and passed them and beat them by, like, two straightaways. So, uh, Mitch and them were ecstatic. So, um, then um, the shootout came, and it was uh, me against, you know, I had the top 10 with 25 and the top 10 to 250. Well, this time I got a good start, and I checked out. And then it was my very first race, and I beat Jeremy McGrath and Jeff Emig, and they were on 250s. And I just didn't beat them, but I beat them by two straightaways. Which what um, race is this at though? I, this is two thousand. This was what at the year, Chap- year is this? this was a Chaparral race in ninety nine. Huh. And um it was the week before and I'll never forget. I won by so far that McGrath came up because he got a bad start. McGrath thought he had won. And he came up and he said, Um, what place did you get? I said, I won. And he was like, You did? And then McGrath went over to Mitch. And he said, don't ever let that kid go. He said, cause he watched me in the, he said, he's got a style about him that, and he, his momentum is crazy fast. And, um, so, and then me and from that on, me and Jeremy and even Jeff Emming and stuff, me and Jeff has always been close, but Jeremy, you know, we can, we just connected right then. And, um, it, it was pretty cool because that was my first race and, and I'll never forget all in the magazine, Shay Bentley, you know, your fastest 125 rider in the world. And, you know, you go from being, you know, a privateer to getting that ride and then winning. And now all of a sudden, you know, 
everybody, you know, you're, everybody's on your side. And, absolutely. Um, you got skyrocketed to stardom, my friend. Yeah. And then, you know, and then I had to learn who my true friends were and who they weren't and, mm-hmm. you know, learn about, you know, not reading the magazines and stuff um, due to the fact of, because some, you know, everybody's got, you know, they've got to make, um, you know, some publicity and everything and they've got to make stories and sometimes, you know, some of it could hurt your feelings and stuff, even though some of it was true and, you know, and some of it wasn't true, but I, w- I just told myself, I, you know, I won't read the magazine and stuff. I just want to focus on me and focus on my program. And I trained with Ezra Lusk, you know, so me and Ezra, and that's what we did. And we did the same thing every day and we, we worked hard. So, um, but, and now to be able to give back, you know, through all those years, um, uh, I'm actually at one of my, um, I had to stop by one of my um, rider's house real quick um, that I help out. Um, they're all out here on their little scooters, jumping the jumps and stuff. Um, but, um, you know, they're kids and they look up to me and, and it's not just about racing, but it's about life, giving them life lessons and leading them in the right direction. So, and what what's the best um, advice that you can give any or the I guess to say the best and also the most frequent advice that you instill in these young athletes that you work with? To have fun and do it for themselves, and to do and if they want to do it, to to give everything they have because you never want to have any regrets and look back and say I wish I'd have done that or done this. Hmm. So. And I, and I tell every one of them, you know, like when they go out like at Loretta's, I would say it's 20 minutes of the rest of your life. Leave all 20 minutes out there. That way, when you come off the track, it's all out there. You don't, you know, if you yeah. crash, you never give up. You know, you ride to your potential. And that's all I ask. Because, you know, you're going to have good days and bad days. That's just life. You're going to feel better on certain days. And, um, you know, winning, winning is, is an addiction. You know, once, once you win, you, you won't always win, but you're, you're not always going to win. And, um, very few, you know, like Carmichael, he hated losing so bad to where, you know, he made winning a habit. Yeah. And, um, and that, and, and he had the confidence. You know, that was just the way it is. But, you know, and, and it's great to see what he's done because I know he went to NASCAR and I still talk to him to this day. And it didn't pan out there. But, you know, me and him and a bunch of other riders always were like, you know, there's a lot of riders that shouldn't be racing Supercross because what they would do is they'd wait to their hometown, let's say it's Atlanta, Georgia, and they'd sign up and race Supercross. To show, just to show their friends, hey, I'm going to race tonight and pay the money because that's what AMA, that's all they cared about. Mm-hmm. And now you got the Ricky Carmichael Road to um, Supercross, which it's through Arena Cross. Or you can go through Loretta's, I believe, and get, you know, like top three or something, and, you know, you're automatically in. So um, I know, like, one of my riders is Nick Gaines. Okay. And, yeah. um, which, you know, um, he should have won Loretta's. He, um, 
the first two murders should have won mammoth too yeah yeah he um he got sick in mammoth um he got really sick and um actually he got so sick i i didn't want him racing that third day um i was gonna take him to the hospital but uh loretta's um he um he just panicked he um instead of settling in the first few laps um he panicked and threw it away and crashed and then had to come from 25th up to 5th and then the next moto the same thing um he was running third on the second lap right where he needed to be right on the leaders and and he went ahead and tried to force the issue and when he did he went down had to come all the way and banged his bike up came back to six and then the next moto was a huge turn i mean he got in a first turn pileup that was nasty and i was just one of the riders broke his leg tyler mcswain there's probably 15 bikes down they should have red flagged the race because the riders were still on the track and um he couldn't finish because it broke his radiator it was uh, antifreeze was going everywhere but he had the second fastest lap time all out all weekend and um the kid he he deserves you know a ride and it's like i told him i said you know um and you've got you still have some maturity to do um because amateur racing is getting out front and setting the setting the pace but you also got to be patient enough you know because at loretta's you got 20 minutes plus two laps it's not a five lap sprint so, yeah, and that's a lot of laps on a track that some of those kids are uh, under two minutes. Yeah, and it's it's about ten to eleven laps. Yeah, for you know for the pros, you know for the eighty fives it was about you know eight to nine laps, you know, and because uh, you can actually at Loretta's a track on a big bike is really hard to ride because it's it's not so fast. Right, it's, it's, actually, it's built for like eighties, honestly. Yeah, it's honestly yeah exactly. So. I remember my last year, um, when I was there on mine, I actually turned the fastest lap time of all week on my 85. There you go. So that's, that's a feather in your cap right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm also the first rider to ever jump a supercross triple on an 80 and on a 100. Really? Uh, Where yeah, was that? We were, at? Was that at the, it, it was at Anaheim and okay. we were doing press, we were doing press day. It was about 5.45 in the morning, and um, um, the newscast and all them, they, had, they came out, and we were um, riding, showing, you know, you know, the track and stuff and what was going to be going on that night and everything. And, well, they had brought out a KX stock handlebars, everything, a KX100 and, um, for her. Um, for the newscast, I can't remember her name, but um, I know her, I think her first name was Gail. <laughs> but um, so she wrote it down the start straight away. We showed her how to ride it and stuff, and she came back and they filmed it and everything. And um, then that then one hundred, we were just holding it, and and I'll never forget. Jeff Emmy goes, <clears throat> um, Shay, once you get on it, and um, um, you just been it ain't been too long since you've been off of it. Once you get on it, take a few laps. And I was like, nah, so Nick Way got on it. And Nick Way did one lap, and um, he just rode around it and stuff. So I got on it, and I was like, all right, well, if he did it, you know, I'm going to do it. So I got on it, and I kid you not, I felt right at home. 
Like, it fit me go. perfect. Because I never grew one. Uh, yeah, I'm 5'6". So, um, I did one lap. I doubled everything. And then the next lap, I tapped out the triples and everything. And, um, and Emig and all of them were in. They were, they could not believe it. Well, we were all laughing and stuff. And then we went to, um, IHOP after for breakfast. And then we went back to the pro circuit shop. And as I walked into the pro circuit shop, Mitch Payton was waiting on me. And he took me straight to the back, and I took a yelling like no other. Because um, I didn't think about the risk of if I didn't make it. Right, so, of course. You're, you're, just, yeah. uh, you're just hoping to impress uh, the Supercross champions around here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I was just looking I was just looking at, you know, doing, you know, I wasn't thinking about being the first one to ever, ever do it or anything like that. I was just looking at trying to impress, you know, all the guys and stuff. So, right, that's going into ni- to that. That's going into ninety six. That was in. I did that in ninety nine. Oh, ninety nine. Okay, well, yeah. So, and so I still you had, had the mag- you had been off it for a while. Yeah, I still had the. I still had the magazine that says Shay Bentley, the first rider to jump a um, Supercross triple on a uh, one hundred. So that's pretty cool. No doubt. But um, all right. Um, is there any other um questions or anything? Um, no, I think we've just about covered it, my friend. I really appreciate you uh, um, uh, take, taking some time to sit with us today. I was going to ask you about how you and Nick ended up getting home uh, from uh, Mammoth Mountain, but uh, um, <laughs> that was uh, like, for for an OCD guy. I'm sure that was uh, a little bit um, different for you. Let's just say we made it there very fast, and we had time to spare for our flight. And uh, we were crunched in with about 10 OGO gear bags and um, suspension. But um, all props to the lady that drove us because average speed was 120. And that was in the the desert. So thank goodness God was with us. No cops. And um, we made it home. Perfect. Well, that's a a memorable... uh, road trip with kevin kelly uh shay we thank you so much for taking some time with us tonight uh wish you the best of luck with all of your endeavors going forward with working with your young athletes and uh and if it's all right we'd like to invite you on again sometime to uh discuss more about your career and more about what you got going on with these uh these young athletes oh that'd be awesome i'd love to anytime you know just get a hold of me you got my um you got my number yeah and if um there's any you know anybody from bmx to you know, motocross, because, you know, a lot of the, I always thought I was going to be a BMX racer when I was a kid. Yeah. Um, but, you know, because that's all I did. And I still watch the movie Rad all the time. So, um, but, uh, if, um, anybody, you know, needs any advice or anything, you can go on my Facebook, just, you know, Shay Bentley, or you can go to SBMXS, um, um, on Facebook. But, um, um, other than that, um, I, I look forward to um, hearing from you, and thank you for the opportunity. Absolutely. Thank you again, and uh, best of luck in the future, my friend. You take care. All right. You too. God bless. Thank you. All right. Good night. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Big MX Podcast, brought to you by X-Brand Goggles. Be sure to check out our archive for episodes you may have missed. Check out our website at BigMXRadio.com for more content.